Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of According Down. I'm Alan Moskowski, and I am joined in studio with a couple guys I'm really excited for. I don't know how you guys are feeling, but Brian, you are an, a pizza guru. I'm always excited. So. <laughs> <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Yes. Um, you're a pizza guru. Yeah. Custom absolutely. pizza guru, yeah, I would yeah. say at this point. Absolutely. You're a veteran. Yeah. You've served the United States of America. I have. You have 700 kids. Uh, just shy. Yeah. <laughs> Five. Yeah. And you are the owner of S&T2, now a, a new place in Crown Point. And so I wanted to say thank you for coming on. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Are, are, so any kind of like uh, concepts, any thoughts, any expectations before we get into this? No, just have a good time and just open up. Get on the... just. Open, open it up and see where the conversation takes us. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And I'm also we got another special guest here. He is. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop short of saying COVID enthusiast because I don't think that's true. Um, but he's got a great beard. He's an average golfer and he's a hell true. of an insurance agent. True. Drew Hellier. A lot of true statements. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a party pad in Demont. That's right. That's right. So, Drew, uh, this is your f- first time on the podcast? First time. No way. You've done long a Wing Wednesday. Listen- <laughs> first, time. <laughs> first time caller, long time listener. But you've done, you've done a Wing Wednesday. Yep. So you're used to like the little bit of the content. Sure. This was a little bit of a throw together. I know you guys know each other, right? How do you guys know each other? So funny thing is uh, we were probably, Brian and I probably knew each other before a lot of people in Crown Point Aww. did because... Uh, oh, that is cute. My wife sold Brian and his wife Amy their house when they moved to Crown Point. Jessica Amen. Hellier. Yeah. Amen. Hit her out. What a Jess. great transaction that was. Really? Yeah. Just seamless from front seamless, to back. Seamless, just super inexpensive, just really all around good uh, experience. Okay. Excellent. That was a joke, the inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what realtors do, but I know they make a lot of money, and I, I'm for that. Absolutely. No, you I mean, it's a big, tra- it's a big life. Tra- it's a trans, it's a huge transaction. So you got to yeah. have someone on your side for sure. Hell yeah. Definitely. That's all you had. I thought you were going to add more to that. Drew. No, no. Brian said it perfectly. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, I wanted to kind of start this off a little bit by just kind of getting into the S and T two. Cause I think it yeah. is new and I think a lot of people have tried it. I know through our social media posts, it seems like we're getting a ton of feedback on people trying it and loving it. And then obviously there's, it's the internet. So people don't love it too, but the internet, but it seems like the overwhelming majority is that they love it. And then the one thing that I was really fascinated by was how many people from Illinois has already already had it, For sure. and it was just excited about it. So, can you tell us a little bit about S and T two, how it came about, your origin story, that kind of whole fun? Yeah, sure. So, S and T Provisions opened in 1960 in Mount Greenwood, which is like the furthest south um, community in Chicago, uh, known as like the old neighborhood. So, lots of cops, lots of firemen. Uh, lots of service, first responder types live out there. I'm Polish, so I'm sure I'd Amen. fit in. Oh, absolutely. Let's yep. go. Yep. Uh, so my great-grandpa four generations ago opened in 60. We were just like a wholesale pizza supplier. So like we would make our meats, our sauce, and get in like high-quality ingredients, and we would service the local pizzerias on the south side of Chicago. So chances are 
So as a supplier. Yeah, originally. So back in the day, a lot of the pizzerias on the south side of Chicago just served our ingredients, you know, as as a wholesale supplier. And then after a couple of years, they slowly started opening up um, retail. And then we became like this quasi, it's specialty Italian grocery slash butcher shop. Obviously, pizza supplies is our number one seller, but we were like more of an Italian deli kind of. Yeah, I know Uh, people love the meatballs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, That's a big hit. That's like 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So behind behind, like pizzas is what we do, of course, but number one seller by far is is our meatball mix. So like... Over the, I mean, we've been open 63 years in Chicago. So over wow. the years, um, like I said, I'm the fourth generation in there now. We do all of our own fresh meats every morning. Rope sausage, mild, hot, extra hot, red wine. We got a Polish sausage fresh, uh, Italian or uh, Irish garlic, ground chuck, ground pork, meatball mix. Just like kind of all that fresh meats every morning. And then we've got a deli section with cheeses and lunch meats and and then we got the grocery section with the, the the dry pastas and the frozen pastas and the peppers and the spreads and and then we've got our pizza setup section where you kind of you get your kit of ingredients you take it home and you make it how you want to based on how you buy your package with us. Um, so we we do uh, very high volume in in setups and um, you know over the years a lot of the generations have kind of just moved west, moved south, moved east from Chicago, just naturally, progression out of the city. Um, And so I came aboard like five years ago, and we opened Bolingbrook. So so we went from provisions to now like we had the concept of S&T 2, like also T-O-O. We opened Bolingbrook, Frankfurt, and then we just opened, obviously, Crown Point on the square in October, so or first week of November. So being a fourth-generation person in business, this is always fascinating to me because yeah. I'm a first-generation business owner. It's me figuring it out on the fly, hoping to God I don't go to jail for tax evasion or something right, dumb. Right, yeah. You just never know, you know? <laughs> um, how does it work when you go into the fourth generation? Because I'm sure a, a solid foundation's already there. Are you just pretty much, like, providing a lot more different color than maybe the generation before you may not have seen? Because technology has really grown in that time period. For sure. So I always have said that I really, really walked into a really good situation based on the the blood, sweat, and tears of like the, the three generations before me. So my great-grandpa opened. My grandfather took it 30-plus years in the city and just grew. My, my father overlapped with my grandfather and he's been there I think 40 years now yeah 40 years um so like I had it in a good spot in the sense of we were deeply rooted in that community still are but I'm talking about when I joined um deeply rooted in the community had an outstanding proven product so that's tough that's that's key so a lot of places a lot of people that start a business they're trying to not only like figure out the business side, but they're trying to introduce either a product or a concept to an, to an area. And so you're trying to sell your product and prove it. And, and then at the same time, figure out the business thing and just like hope it works, you know? Uh, so I walked in, we already had deep roots, lots of customers, a great product, comma. However, we didn't even have a website. 
Wow. Like literally five years ago, we didn't even have a website. So no social no media. media, no marketing, yeah. nothing. Wild. Zero. I think we had an ad in like the Beverly Review on monthly, like the newspaper. That's <laughs> it. So like I came on and I do have um, a graduate degree in, in organizational leadership and, and business development. Um, so, I mean, there's a little bit of educational background there, but a lot of leadership traits and characteristics built and honed in the military over time. Right. So it, it just directly applies to like you're, you're leading Marines. You can lead a, a group of a team of, of yeah. employees. Out of curiosity from your military experience, how is it dealing with like um, that realm? And yeah. then having to talk to a 16 year old. Good question, right? So, <laughs> and it's an even better question because I still do it at the same exact time. So, like, I'm still in the reserve. So, I, wow. like, I'll, you know, be, I'll, I'll do like the, the, the husband thing, the, and I don't mean to like underscore that. Like, the, like I'm a husband, right? And then I'm a father of five. And then I'm at work wearing the business hat, the team leader hat, business owner. And then like, I'll just like drive to the airport and like fly and land and put on camis. And then I'm like in the Marine Corps world again. Crazy. Yeah, it, it, it could, it can be. Um, so I don't, I mean, not as, as an adult, as like a, 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 a 38 year old, it's a lot easier to be able to transition from wearing the hats, you know? Yeah. But you certainly can put it, problems and issues into perspective like okay like that's not even a big deal it's like just figure it out right like yeah. these little problems that people have or even just like just like the littlest things you're like just figure it out so hypothetically 16 year old um i think this is this is actually not even hypothetically i think this is a literal situation I think you had one one kid at your your Crown Point location that we were coming you were coming in to film the video, which if you haven't seen, go check that out. I built a custom pizza, which I still think is one of my favorite pizzas I ever had. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, good. I put your new roast beef on there. I put Jardinera, the medium, because I wanted like I was eating it out of the can. It was so good. Yeah. Which is homemade in South Chicago, right? Yep, that, Southside Smitty's. That's a local South Chicago uh, company. So yeah. good. And then I dipped it in Oju and it was just like the greatest pizza I've ever, I, I know I personally have ever it's made. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we were there and then um, we were hearing out that the guy that was the kid that was supposed to work there that weekend had a ski trip. So he called off and he decided to take a seven day vacation. So like, Hey, yeah. how do you deal with that situation? I'm sure you have people that deal with it for you as well. Right. But yeah. at the same time, it's like that millennial generation is a different game. And I, what I've what I found with the millennials is like they get a bad rap because they make them sound all bad. But there are like real diamonds in the rough there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, as a minor league guy, yeah, yeah, right. that's a great minor league system, <laughs> but they got to show themselves a little bit. For sure. I mean, as far as leadership's concerned, I think. The, the key to leadership is being able to reach all different people with all different walks of life and be able to effectively communicate to them and make them better. Doesn't matter if they're 14, it doesn't matter if it's your eight year old child, your 16 year old employee, your 23 year old newly college graduate manager. Okay. And then like, your peers, which is like the, the hardest level of management, in my opinion, leading your peers. Mm. And then like in my position, I walked in at 35 with a lot of real world experience and like life experience and leadership experience. And 
walked into a business and became partial owner at the time, now full, you know, now owner of all of them. And all of my employees at the time were like 20 years my elder <laughs> at, when I started. I mean, so like in Chicago, like I had like 12 employees that were wow. all 45 plus, 50 plus at the time. And Drew, you're shaking your head. Yes, that's a similar situation for you. Yeah, I think when you come into as a, as a younger individual in a position of uh, leadership, you're looking at how do I earn the respect of my elders even though you've, you've proven yourself and you've proven yourself in many other ways. Um, I guess, Brian, you've had a similar experience where it may take a little bit of time for those, yep. those people who have been in the business for 20 some years, you come in, you're leading the pack now. How do you earn their respect? Yep. So, and I'll tell you exactly what I did. So like, that's, that's huge. So leadership by example is my world. Um, and so, so you're not a big talker. It's action. Nope. It's, it's lead by example. And so literally my game plan from before when I even came on to when I came on the first year, I mean, it wasn't a secret. Like I was always going to come aboard, but, and, and it ever, like even all the, I grew up in the shop. Right. So, but like, ever, but when I came aboard, I purposely started on a register and worked for a year at all of the different positions that I would be leading. So, um, I mean, it's not like I was doing that for like 20 years, but like at least I can get my, feet wet in the organization and understand the grind and then understand the aspects that I would be leading and expecting people to do and then be able to efficiently and effectively supervise them doing that, leading them do that. Although, I mean, what are you going to do? Walk in and, and not do any of it? So like, how, how am I supposed to know how to lead them if you don't do that? Well, I think there's like a, the American way is watch one movie, like win one for the Gipper, you yeah. know, and you got like these inf like these uh, leadership speeches that you're going to give eventually. And yeah. then you've got this, you know, you're going to just bark at people and they're going to follow. And that's just you, you find out real quickly that that's not the reality of life. Yeah. You know, um, but it's still interesting to hear that, like even in your situation. So like from a leadership by example side. Can you give us a situation? Because there's a lot of probably business owners that are listening to this that would love to hear this perspective. Because I know we have, obviously, um, we've been, this is probably like over 200 podcasts at this point. A lot of them are business owners. And one of the things that seems to be a common thread is just the stress of it, the anxiety of being a business owner, yeah. the loneliness of it, I think is a big thing. So it's like they, everyone kind of feels isolated on their own island. How do you go in there? How do you really kind of like prove that action in, in a very real sense? I mean, I really think it's just practical. It's not like, it's not even like a show. I think if you run a business, you need to be an expert at every aspect of that business. So operationally speaking, like if you just have a company that has, I don't usually use the word like employees, but like team members and they do jobs and you have different sections or, or, you know, areas of work. And so like, if you come in and just like manage quote, manage and like lead all these things, like you need to know exactly what their day to day operations what the are, grind is what like. the grind is like, yep. cause like you can't expect them to do their job and to know how to work harder and faster and smarter if you literally have never done that before. So I think that's important. So true. So like you're talking from your perspective, you've got, you're doing the ordering every for oh, things yeah. coming in, you're running cashier, you're I know doing every why, single like, position. I know if I'm telling you to, 
that something can be done better or more efficiently. It's because I've already done that and I know that that's why it works or, but also as a leader, it takes a good listener. So like I, it's not just do as I say, because I've done it. It's, this is my experience. What are you saying? Okay. I hear that, but this is probably why it's better. No, actually I like what you're saying. Let's do that. So like just an openness and willingness to, um, you know, to listen to feedback is, is important as well. I think a certain amount of trust, right? Trust, yeah. So especially if someone's been in that position for a number of years, you just have to give them the ability to do what they do best as well. Even though you might be familiar with the situation, they may have some input that you're unaware of because you're so good at what you do. Um, I think. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's definitely. A, so I think a good a, point. I think that's a good, good point. A good leader makes those people around them better at what they do. And it's not necessarily because you can do it better than them. It's that you're enabling them to, to be better X, Y, and Z. To take ownership yep. of their yeah. position. Yeah. How does that, I mean, as, as a parent, as a father yeah, for sure. of a f- four and three-year-old. It's all connected, man. How, how, does, how does that leadership ability take over in your household? Because I think that's one thing I struggle with is that you get working, you're doing your thing, but then like sometimes you get home. And it, that feels like a distraction, yeah. you know? So how do you really kind of embody that leadership from your military background, which I think is, su- I, I, don't want to, I don't want that to get lost in translation because that is a super valuable background into this conversation. Yeah. But how, how, do, how do you kind of like keep it together? And then like, what do you kind of things do you try to instill in your family that you've probably learned from that background that you're also talking about instilling at S&T too? Sure. Or S&T provisions? Well, I think it's important to understand that it, it actually does all blend together. So we keep using the the word like leadership and leaders and team members, but like all of that generally speaking is the same, whether you're leading in your home or you're leading in an office or a, a, a corporation or on the battlefield or in your church or whatever, the leadership characteristics are all the same, you know? So like being patient, a good listener, being decisive, um, having good judgment and just talking through those things and and teaching those things at a very young age. And then most importantly for me, at least in the home is just patient consistency. It's way easier said than done, but just being consistent and being, and just being patient. A lot of times my wife and I have to remind ourselves that like, and this is in the business as well, like just expectation management, like they're six, like they're not 27 They're you know, so like just having, you know, an under, you know, having an understanding like that. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you one example from my, from my, from my inside my household. There's one thing that's really strange to me. So I've got two, right? Boy, girl. And I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm all of a sudden watching TV. They're playing behind me, whatever. All of a sudden, one will make a claim on the other one, and there's a fight starting to brew, right? Without being able to see it, I don't know how to referee it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I don't. I don't don't know what happened, you know? (laughs) So one of the first things, like, I was doing was just, like, you know, deal with it, guys. Learn how to get along. That's part of it. You have to start that long ago. So, like, you have to teach and foster conflict resolution long ago so you can then trust them to deal with it. I mean, if they don't know how to deal with it and you tell them to deal with it, it's going to just go to blows and, you know. Right, 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 right. So, right. so, just, so teaching that conflict resolution and and the 
the maturity to do that at whatever age you're, you know, what, what age are your kids? Four and three. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Like, that's like the, ba- that's like where you're micromanaging their personality. Right. So you're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're on, you know, you have to be the, the, the only thing I've been able to find is like, that's been like really a good thing is that as soon as one of them makes a claim on the other one, now it's like, Hey, we're both going in timeout. I can't referee it. I didn't see anything. You're both going in. Mass punishment. Mass punishment. S- spoken like a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You screwed up. Now you all screwed up. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, they, they get in there. I put them down. I sit down. And they're like, okay, we're going to cry this out for 15 minutes. They start to settle down. They start talking to each other. And then usually it's been, like, a more consistent run. But, like, that's the hard part. I can't just sit my daughter or my son down and be like, okay, Let's talk logic. Like it doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist, you know. I think at that age, they're really just concerned about like trust and love. So like, you're just like, I don't know what happened. I love you, and I want to make it better. So like, tell me what you think. Like, what? Tell me. Well, I guess three is a little young for that, but um, my youngest is six, so I'm working. I'm working. No, on you're above little, it. Yeah, you're I'm above a it. Above that right now. Okay, but interesting. Yeah. Drew, do you have any thoughts on, on the leadership inside the family household? Because I think that's intense. I think that's a good thing for people to hear. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're a very busy family, just as Brian is and you are and everybody else yeah, is. Yeah, I, I don't know how Brian does what he does. Yeah. So we have three, <laughs> oldest being 14, will be 15 next month. Our twins are nine years old. They just turned nine yes, uh, on Monday. So we're at a little bit different stages all around here. But having boy-girl twins, that's been quite the challenge because they're completely different people. Yeah. Um, but it's so hard not to just choose to take the path of least resistance, right? So my daughter is the, probably the strongest mind in our household. I mean, she is steadfast, does not give up. She will win a battle at all costs. So from that perspective, my son kind of gets the brunt of it usually, right? Because he's the easier one to, uh, to take the fall for a situation and, you know, Jess and I are always like, well, you know, she's at fault, but he's <laughs> he's the one that we can reason with. Um, that's probably not the best approach always, but that seems to be how it goes in our household. As far well, it's as, good that you have a referee. Yeah. I mean, and it's not listen. Tim Donahue. It's like a real one. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, like Brian said, you know, he's he, he has, uh, you know, you said five kids, right? Yeah. And the youngest being yeah. six. Yeah. Is so we're at girl, girl, boy, boy, girl, 15, 13, uh, uh, <laughs> 10, <laughs> 8, 6. Yeah. Oh, so, so how do you how do you go somewhere? Like, say one kid's got gymnastics. I, I swear that's the, <laughs> the biggest challenge with a big family is logistics, not like. That's what you do, though, right? right. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that I, is what you do. I am a logistics officer for the Marine Corps. Oh, um, nice. So, so we're uh, talking to the right guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. going to learn a lot here. Uh, I, 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 so I'm going to have to like call my wife in. Now. We've got to ask these questions. <laughs> jokes, jokes aside, um, I have a really rock star of a wife. Like, seriously. Um, we developed into this team, this, this partnership through the Marine Corps. I mean... We have been this. We're literally right now. We're living in our tenth house together. Wow! So we're in our tenth house. All five of my kids have different addresses on their birth certificates. Many duty stations. Many like my first eight years married. I was probably home like less than fifty percent of that. 
So wow. she is a rock star, right? So like having a having a team, uh, like a partnership, is really vital. Dude, cheers to that. Yeah, thank that's you. impressive. Absolutely. Yeah, Hell yeah, man. That. Um, so what was the question? Um, just mm. as far as like how to like the logistics of going somewhere. That's what you're saying. Yeah, because so like, I get two kids in yeah, the car. It's yeah. like if I if we added a third one, I'm like, dude, I got to get a whole new fleet. <laughs> so we have a suburban number one. Okay, and that barely fits all of us. Um, and then on like for a trip, um, but you literally so it got to a point. So our our fifth is now six and in stuff. So all of our children are in at least two things at a time. Wow. Like whether it's music and sport or activity and sport. I mean, that's by choice. Now, like we don't like we just, we try to, we try to do everything we can to allow them to, to say yes. You know, we, we try not to say no if it's something that is going to be Same. enriching for them and, and character building and, and stuff they love to do, you know? So whether it's Girl Scouts or choir or band or basketball or wrestling or like all these things. Uh, but it got to a point where we quite literally could not do it, even just the two of us anymore. So first of all, I'm like barely, I mean, I'm, I'm not like never home, but I'm not dependable to be like a logistician of the house. Like I'm there when I need to be and when I went, you know, for stuff, but like, I'm not there for the daily grind of the moving the kids around and the whatever. So there got to a point where we like we have a an, we have a really awesome uh i don't my wife and i always struggle with like the term what like he we have like an assistant at the house he is like a, a team member with us so like he works with us and uh he drives to and fro and does this and that and so like jesus brian i got i got to get on your level i don't know <laughs> what i'm doing wrong dude I gotta figure this out. It's it's just it's literally necessary. Of course, you know I'm sure we all can agree that we love to be at our kids' things, but try to, uh, yeah, know, hell or, yeah, or, or hell just yeah. be the even like you said the driver, just yeah. to go to and from. But Brian has a number of children. I have kids that are the same age. You know the the twins are the same age as each other, and that not alone causes a conflict between Jess and I because. We're both busy as well, yeah, right? Because you mean, guys have full careers. We're, we're in sales. Like, yeah. Both oh, of us yeah. are in sales. Yeah. Which gives us some flexibility as well, which is nice. But, I mean, at the drop of a hat, we could be out the door. You know, right. I got to go be with this person today at this time right now. It's like you have that built-in flexibility, but also not. Because like, then you're right. almost like kind of like expected to be on call all the time. Exactly. So it's like right. you have the flexibility, but you actually have less because you don't, you're not nine to five. Sure. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. Definitely pros and cons on both ends, but well, it's interesting that like you're, we're talking about leadership that like kind of led into that because for me, when I go into my household, like, I guess I'd never really talked this out to my wife and I don't know why I'm saying this publicly, but I go in there and I just concede at the home, at the home. I mean, for the most <laughs> like part, to your kids or to her, to her, my wife says something, I'm doing it. You're in. I'm not. I'm not even questioning. It's just like take out the garbage, do the. It's just like I've almost taken a secondary leadership role there because she's so often doing all the things. That's okay though. That's how your partnership is, and she's just. That's okay. Oh, that's cool. Because I thought this was like going to like some like Grant Cardone shit, where I was going to have to like get like totally. 
<laughs> I get, honestly, I think it really just depends on what you're trying to achieve there. Are you trying to achieve what is the most efficient and best way for your partnership to work in your household? Or are you just trying to be the alpha male that now you just feel bad because that happens? No, um, I, you know, I, I take pride in not being an alpha male. Like, I am who I am, right? In the office space, I feel like, like here, I feel like I take a leadership role where yeah. I'm controlling i'm i'm definitely dictating of what the what we're doing um when i get home though sometimes it's like you just kind of see the speed of the game <laughs> happening get in where you fit does your you wife know? stay home no she's a hairstylist so okay. she has a pretty flexible schedule but she's home a lot then she is she's with the kids a hell of a lot more than so I she has am. her finger on that pulse oh yeah time. oh yeah. yeah so it's like for me i'm not trying to like you know because we've all done it we go inside well why are we doing this this is dumb, you know? And then you get hit with like 14 reasons why we're doing it. And you're like, oh, that all makes sense. I don't even know why I was even trying to speculate. So it's like, okay, cool. And then so like it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to cut the grass. I'm going to grill the food. Yeah, I'm just going to, yeah. Just, you know just, what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just going to stay, stay out of her way because she's got this thing handled, man. Yeah. Talk you know? about another saint of a wife. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. I think we all can we say all that we that. all have saints of wives. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, for I know it's cliche, but like if behind I mean, if you're in a, a loving relationship with like the whole family dynamic kids and you're all doing it right. Like if you have if there's like this really successful person, whether it's the man or the woman that's out in the world being successful is is there is another quote unquote successful partner that, you know, in that. And in our case, like Jess and I, she just got into real estate two years ago. So that's been kind of a culture shock to us to try to yeah. figure out, yeah. you know, because for, for years and years, I was, I was the one out, you know, pounding the, pounding the yeah. pavement and to turn around and her become so successful so quickly. That's been, we've had to work through that because she was like there, we had twins. I mean, and so she was home for a while. Yeah. And, if okay. you could imagine we had two at one time for, you know, a good five or six years, it was figuring that out. Yep. And now they're old enough. They're going off to school. She's sitting home going, well, I can work a couple days a week or I can get into this, which is flexible, which is real estate. And she took off like zero to 100 yeah. in a matter of, you know, months. Well, Jess is a beast, dude. Sure. She is. She's yeah. awesome. But with that being said, I mean, you're constantly shifting, changing, fitting in, you know, certain things that work for your family. And I think that's, that's you know, there's something to be said there. Yeah. Like Brian said, you need a little extra help. There's no shame in that. I mean, you, you got to fit into that fam family dynamic, whatever help, you know, works for you. So before we get into uh, Brian's military background, a little bit more intensive, oh. I got to do a couple reads to keep the lights on here. Oh, okay. Okay. Are you guys <laughs> you want, good with that? Do you want me to read anything? Um, are you good? So I kind of just look at what the deals are and then I just kind of cherry pick and then I just talk about them with you guys. That's my reads. Are we talking about like sponsorship right now? Yeah. Okay. Is that like cool? Brought to you by. Well, no, I don't. I try to not do it like that. I feel like that <laughs> the message doesn't get really. All right, we're building through. it up way too much. Yeah, yeah we are. Ahead. Now people are like, "Dude, just get to it." Um, so, how do you guys feel about Ricochet? Good. Yeah, of course. Okay, I love it. It's yeah. my favorite place to go during lunch, um, especially under the influence. Uh, it's. 15% off all orders for $25 or more until the end of February. So if you're unaware, do the quesadillas. They're awesome. 
Really? You're a quesadilla guy? Skip the tacos. I'm a bowl no, guy. I'm a bowl guy. Their entire menu is all custom tacos. tacos. And then you're, the Go one the line on the bottom that's like for 12-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, like, yep. Yeah. You hey, get the chicken fingers with hey, that you're too, welcome. Drew? You're welcome. DM me with chicken your... Chicken tenders and fries. Yeah. DM me with your thanks. You'll appreciate it later. They are good, though. What do you usually get there? Uh, I literally try to just switch up the three tacos. The two Every that, time? Uh, for the most part, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've eaten there probably 100 times. I, I usually go bowl or the crispy boys. That's usually my gig. Okay. True romance. Well, Oh, every, really? every that's a fire. That's a every fire time. taco. That's got the flaming hot Cheetos on them, right? Maybe a Chicken? spicy, maybe a spicy margarita. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Um, Brian, you mentioned working out <laughs> earlier. I, I mentioned it. Yeah. Are you a fan of CrossFit? Um, I, I really appreciate functional fitness. Yep. Okay. Yep. So right now until the end of March or February, man, they're going to fire me at doing these reads. I got to start doing these pre-recorded. Uh, you can get a free class if you go in and check in and uh, see what's up. Yeah, there's some value there. Absolutely. Heck yeah. I know we just did a video over there where um, we were talking about, because that's the one thing I always hear is like, A, it's too complicated. We see highlights of CrossFit people and yeah. people are doing like You're watching the leg pull-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I would love to see another like 45-minute you know, session of you doing the entire workout. So I've done CrossFit three times. Yeah. And have, have we seen it though? No, we have not okay. um, on purpose. It's it's complicated. Um, but I was also before my fitness journey, I was also 35 pounds heavier. Absolutely. Now you look excellent. compared yeah. to. Well, thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. Thanks. I think it's the glasses. Which leads me to my next read. Crown Point Eye Care. Nice segue, bro. <laughs> you killed that one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you buy one IPL photofacial treatment, get another 50% off. Do you guys know what IPL is? No. Okay. So one day I was doing this. Uh, we did this video about me being stuck in an elevator. Jovan mm-hmm. from Crown Point Eye Care hit me up and was like, dude, you got rosacea. Do you know that? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't even know. Do you guys even know what rosacea is? No. No? So if you guys can notice, I mean, I've had a couple beers, and uh, I've got this redness in my cheeks here. Okay. Yeah? Um, Apparently, that's from uh, being, well, an Irish-American, unfortunately, and Polish. But uh, I guess it's from a lot of sun damage. So they take me under this, like, machine that uh, it feels, I mean, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm such a puss with it when it comes to this stuff. Like other people can like take this on, especially women. I feel like take like this beauty stuff and they just like take it and run with it. They t- it pains part of it. For me, it's like, I don't even know what's going on, but they got this like thing. It's like shoots this light into your cheek that deadens your, your tissue that allows your cheeks not to get so red. That's what it is. Yeah. I see it. <laughs> you do. That's, that's, the, that's the difference. I can tell. Okay, thanks, Drew. So, Brian, your military background. (laughs) (laughs) So, we're going to go from lasers to military. I mean, was that a good read? I feel like they're fun about that. They're fun. I mean, that's fun, right? That's not just, like, boring. No, if I was a business owner of one of those three reads, I'd be completely happy with that. Nice, nice. You can tell me off air what you really think. <laughs> the no, glasses I'm, guy got I'm his just, money worth. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even know I needed glasses. I felt like I saw fine. <laughs> Went in there, got an eye exam. Next thing you know, I'm walking out with glasses, and I'm feeling great about them, actually. 
Good. Haven't haven't stopped wearing them in four months. They're non-prescription. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have lenses yeah. in them. It's, it's amazing. There you go. Um, so I did want to get into your military side because we're kind of getting on the back half of this, and I think that's a really important component. What did you kind of like? What age did you get in? What What does that all look like? Because that's a to me that's like super fascinating, dude. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so I graduated in 03 and from, I mean, pretty classic story for my timeline. I was a sophomore in 01 and there was one or two of us or, you know, a couple of us guys that, um, nice that were going to be Marines immediately. After so you had a couple of buddies in high school that you're like, yeah, we're all going to. Yep. Three okay. of us. Yeah. And that's right after 9-11. Let's put some perspective yep, on this. Pretty, I mean, honestly, I mean, it was just pretty. Now looking back, I really feel like that was like God's calling for for my young adult life was to just serve the country and go fight bad guys. Hell yeah. So where yeah. did you go? What does it look like? So I graduated 03. My parents, I, I was like, I'm less, like for years leading up to my graduation, I was like, I want to be a Marine, want to be a Marine. And like, obviously the war was very young at that time mm-hmm. and very dangerous and in the so media. Are, are we in Afghanistan at that point? Are we still mainly in Iraq so, or is it both? So it's there, it's both, but the, 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 the cameras are on Iraq at that time. Okay. So, yeah. okay. Makes um, sense. So I actually told my parents that I would do a year of college first because they're like, go to college, go to college. I was a decent student, decent athlete. Get your electives out of the way. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So they were just like hoping that I didn't go in the, the Marine Corps. So I did a year and then I enlisted. I was, I always say like I was a recruiter's wet dream. I walked in at the time and I was like, I want to join the Marine Corps. I want to be in the infantry and I want to leave tomorrow. And he was like, Roger that. <laughs> so I was two weeks later, I was on a Tuesday on, a, on an airplane going to San Diego. First so. in your family. Uh, my, so relatively speaking, yes, my grandfather was in the army during the Korean War um, okay. for two years. Um, so there was some service in my family. But like as far as like it was definitely not generational, you know, not like S&T provisions. Correct. <laughs> yeah, not like S&T. So, yeah, I mean, long story in fast forward was I enlisted in the infantry in 04. Uh, I Marines in the Marine Corps. 04 was when I got in enlisted and then did uh, did some deployments was in first uh, I was in on a Mew, which is a Marine expeditionary unit. So we, so the, the Marine Corps is the nine one one of the world. So we're always pre-positioned right now in ships all around the world to, to, uh, achieve crisis response within 24 hours, pretty much anywhere. Wow. So there's Marines on ship in the Mediterranean and the Pacific all over. Um, so we, I got to train and be in like Guam, Japan, South Korea, Thailand, the Philippines, humanitarian assistance, things like that. It's like growing up really quick, learning about the world and what's out there. And then I was... Um, in a non-combat way, at right? That time, at that point. At that time. Okay. Um, coincidentally enough, it was very kinetic at that time in the Middle East, obviously. But just... Uh, so there's like deployment schedules for units, and that was just our schedule at that time was to go do that. And then came Ramadi, 
Karma, which is outside of Fallujah. So like we caught, I definitely caught all of that. Wow. So many, many deployments and then not even like the deployments, but like, it's just like, that's who you are and that's what you do every day. So like if you're a Marine infantryman, your job, you go in Monday, obviously you're on a military, on a Marine Corps base. So you go in and you're training what you're pretty much in the field quote, you know, quote in the field. So like you go off, see you, see you on Friday. So like, that's what I mean by when I was my first eight years married, I wasn't deployed for five years, but I was gone for five out of the eight years, whether, whether I was deployed or gone, just training. I mean, that's because that's what you're doing. So anyways, can we slow this down a little bit? Sure. Okay. So you signed the papers to enlist. Mm -hmm. How, farther are you from your paper signing to being in boot camp? Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? At that time, it could be days, but weeks, two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. So you're in boot camp. Gone. Are yeah. you are you, and like are you with your friends? Weeks. Is it like stripes? No. No. So they're all in different places. So there's two there's MCRD San Diego, everything west of the Mississippi goes to San Diego, everything east of the Mississippi goes to Paris Island and all females at the time. I think wow. it's still like that. So I was at MCRD San Diego and except Chicago. I know. So Chicago also goes to San Diego. Okay. So, yep. San Diego, 13 weeks. What boot camp does is it strips you of who you are. It breaks you down, right? It strips you of who you are. Yeah. And it, instills that the Marine Corps in you. So it don't matter who you are, how prepared you think you are, how physically and mentally tough you think you are, you will be broken down mentally. Not like in a bad way. It's in a productive way. They strip you of all that individualism and all that, all that conception. And then they make you a Marine because that's who they need you to be. So how long is boot camp? Thir- 13 weeks. Holy for the Marine cow. Corps. They're different by services, but 13, 13 weeks. So that's three months mm-hmm. of just, I mean, uh, like you're reinforcing who you are as a human being. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like I thought I was pretty badass and tough and all of that. I mean, there were crying nights of thinking of quitting and wanting to be home and this and that. So they also don't let you do that at the same time that they're it's, it's just an awesome dynamic of leadership. So like at the same time of crushing you spiritually, mentally, and physically, they're also at the same time cognizant of like that they're doing that and they're still enabling you to succeed. So what's one of your toughest days look like from a physical side or what, like start with waking up, you know, Are we I waking mean, up at four thirty. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Five ish. five. It just depends on your schedule. And honestly, it's really tough to do a single day because they're all so different. Like there's like this buildup of training. So like first, it, like the first couple of weeks are just completely blowing your mind and just stripping you of who you are. And then they're, they're starting to add in and they're teaching you about weapons and they're teaching you about leadership and they're teaching you about tact, uh, low level tactics. And so like, so kind of the first weeks is like probably the easiest because you're just like, you got so much information coming in. Your body's kind of going on overload that you, your senses are just like all, if you looked at the syllabus, it would be the easiest, but if you actually experienced it, it'd be the hardest. Cause like, wow. yeah, That's so like interesting. they're literally just running, they're just literally just, just completely messing with your mind 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, so like, but I mean, generally speaking, a normal day, wake up at five, eat breakfast, train, eat lunch. What's train, train. like? It just really depends on what you do. There's a lot of classroom work. There's a lot of running here, running there, learning. Just you're learning about, you have 13 weeks to like learn everything there is to know about the Marine Corps because you're learning the basics about everything. Okay. And then you go on. So like the Marine Corps is like boot camp 13 weeks and then you go. All right. So one thing about the Marine Corps that's unique is every Marine out of the whatever the number is right now, 180,000, 200,000, every Marine is trained to be a rifleman, a warfighter. So they have like the basic package to be a warfighter. And then the ones that are infantry and are actually professional warfighters will go on and do another couple of months of infantry tactics training. That's And then the ones that aren't will go do their job training. So like there's tons of jobs in the Marine Corps. It's like its own world. But every job is... Um, is designed to support the infantrymen in war. So like you have the infantry and then you have tanks and artillery and logistics and supply and, infantry, and finance and administration. So for, for me, uh, watching Hollywood movies and being completely separate from it, infantry yeah. means on the, in the trenches. Yeah, pretty much like if you see, a, yeah, infantry is a warfighter. Yeah, so you're right. pushing boundaries. Right. So, but like I said, so like the, the Marine Corps is, inter, is unique and awesome because every Marine gets a month of how at least to learn how to be a warfighter, learns a weapon system, learns basic tactics. So like if I'm a, if I'm a motor, if I'm a, a driver, my job is to drive trucks and drive the inf infantrymen to and fro. But if my truck gets blown up and we take contact, I can get out of that truck with the infantry platoon in the back or the squad in the back and, and advance on the enemy with them. So like it's different. Like the army or the other, all the other services, really the army because they're the only really real on the ground combatants. I mean, there's obviously Air Force, Navy. They have different specific jobs and they're awesome at them. But like so, like the army. Generally speaking, if you're in the infantry, you train in tactics and weapons. If you're not, you don't. So like if you're like in the army and you do something else, you don't even carry a weapon. You don't train with it. You have nothing to do with it. So Heartbreak Ridge is real. Absolutely, I was trained at Camp Pendleton and Temecula, like. I've trained at the exact places that that was filmed. God, Vince Vaughn's acting performance killed me in that. I couldn't take it. I, I, I completely, completely ruined well, the movie El for Toro me. Too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Um, I don't even know where we left off. But yeah, boot camp is intense and it's designed to strip you no matter who you are of you and then make you graduate as, you know, a Marine. Wow. Then you go do your job. Well, so, so when you, like, I know it's all easy for you, but yeah, for no, like, like the yeah. layman outside here, I got to slow it down a little bit. Yeah. You, what's last day of boot camp look like? <laughs> the last day. Is that a it's, celebration? Because in it movies, is. it's the like last, there's a parade. No, it is. It's transitional. <laughs> really? So like it builds up, like, for, let's just say like the first couple of weeks, like you're just stripped and then they build you up over time. And then like, say by like week See, it's actually changed by when I was in boot camp to now, but basically by like the end that they give you your Eagle Globe and anchor and you're a Marine and then they give you a week or two to kind of operate and live like a Marine, even in boot camp, because then like when you graduate and go like you're not a recruit anymore, you're a private first class or a private or a Lance Corporal. 
and you, you're expected to operate like a Marine. So like if they just like, if it was like balls to the wall till day, the last day, and then like it would be, you wouldn't even be able to function in, 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 in the Marine Corps. So the last day is awesome. There's a lot of emotion. You know, you're leaving. And I'm sure you built like so many friendships. That's like intense team building. On top very of intense. Yeah. Yeah, very intense. So, so you build like brotherhoods out of that boot camp, right? For sure. So the only thing about that is when you do graduate boot camp, it's such a plethora of jobs. So like if you have 90 ki- men in your platoon in boot camp, you could be going to 60 different places after that. But so the next step is where you really start to gain that brotherhood is like, so like after Marine Corps boot camp, you go to the school of infantry where I just talked about where like where you learn how to be an infantry fighter first. And that is where you'll train with a group of Marines and then be sent to a unit together typically. And then you, you're rocking and rolling. Um, wow. That, yeah. So like I had, I had, so I, I had a unique situation because, um, I graduated boot camp, went to the school of infantry and I was two thirds of the way done. And one of, um, my really good friends, one of the three guys that I talked about, Kevin Clark, he was a year ahead of me that we kind of joined the Marine Corps together, even though he was ahead of me, we, you know, we were in that pipeline and he was, uh, shot and killed in, in Iraq when I was going through school of infantry. So, um, I made, it was a really tough decision, but I made the decision to go home, um, to his services. And, but with that decision was if I left training, when I came back, I would be dropped to the class behind me. So, um, all of my friends that I had trained with for the school of infantry went to one unit and then I, went home for four days, three days, whatever it was, and then came back and picked up with the next unit behind me. And then, so I kind of started all over. And the only reason why I said that is because like that group of friends, I was just getting at like how intense it was back then. Like they graduated the school of infantry and they literally went to Iraq. So like they went from school and then they met their unit forward already deployed. Damn. Yeah. So like it, like they're like, like just sink or swim. <laughs> wow. So I mean, because it's probably on a tight schedule. It's the yeah, next group. No, yeah. No. Next yeah, group. Next group. Next group. Yep. Damn. So dude. my first deployment was a Mew, like I said, but something like the the group I would have been in, they went straight into a combat environment. Wow. Yeah. So then, so then you graduate from infantry school. Mm-hmm. Do you get like, is that a phone call? Is that a letter? Is that like, yeah. a, is like what what is it to like? Hey, you're going to Guam. At you know, <laughs> no. So like at that point, so like boot camp is so boot camp. Backing up real quick, communication is letters only, and then from from your your authorities, anyone. your oh no no no, like I mean like families? home. I mean home. Oh, home is no, all okay. no. In boot camp, the communication with your authorities is verbal. Your drill instructors. Drill instructors. Yeah. Okay. Um, daily on a, on a, on a minute to minute basis, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really, I've imagine. got a really funny story actually. So yeah, like it. drill instructors are like, just, I mean, everything they do is for a reason, but like it also carries over to, so like I'm in, I'm in, in the rack in bed 
Um, it's like the middle of the night. I have my poncho over my head. I have my flashlight. I have my flashlight. Um, in I'm in like a bunk bed, and I'm I've got a flashlight in like, and I'm writing a letter to my now wife, who was my fiance at the time, and all of a sudden the poncho gets ripped off my my bed. I look up. It's my drill instructor who is just coming in in the middle of the night for like his his duty. He just looks at me, grabs my flashlight, throws it against the wall. It shatters into a thousand pieces, and then I literally just like slowly laid back <laughs> and and went to sleep. <laughs> like, but I'm like allowed. To, it's just weird. It's just funny. Um, but you're just sitting there taking. I mean, at that I'm point, just, what do you even do? You nothing. know? Yeah. Nothing. Um, so yeah, communication back home is letters and then, but no, but to answer your question, like after the, once you, once you graduate boot camp, like you're a normal person again. So like your cell phone calling home, like you're in class okay. or you're training. And then, so like I, like for me specifically, I, when I graduated the school of infantry, I got married. Uh, and then Amy came out and we got in our first house together and then she lived and operated out of that home while I was gone, essentially. So, like, her new life was as a Marine wife at Camp Pendleton. But do you get that call? Is it a call? Is it, like, how do they let you know that, like, where you're going? Uh, it's orders. Like, you get a set of orders. But, like, you know. Like, when you go to a unit, they're like, hey, just so you know, like, we're slated to leave in December. We're going to go to X, Y, and Z. Like, gotcha. you know, like, it's not like you, like, openly communicate with the world about it. But you'll know. Yeah, like, it wasn't wow. a surprise. Nothing's a surprise, really. I mean... It's not a surprise, but you always have to be like just ready to answer whatever that call is, whatever it is. Wow. So up until this point, you're through boot camp, you're through infantry school. Um, from a film side of things, are you pretty like versed on like different movies that have been released? Over that time period? Then no, I no, just in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Full Metal Jacket. Okay. Where are we at in the reality mm. form of that? I can honestly I can honestly say like that perception of boot camp of that time period. I would say is highly accurate. I mean, beside wow. like the whole, okay. like him going psychotic and like, sure. that, like the pile thing, like his decisions. I mean, probably not generally speaking, but like what you're watching for boot camp, Yeah, for sure. Just the, just the yeah. everyday, the intensity <clears throat> level of the instructors and like the training. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's the one thing Kubrick does. I mean, you're living in yeah. scenes. Yep. I mean, that's yeah. what he does, yep. you know, absolutely. He I'm does just it curious well. if yep. I'm an authenticity. Side. I would say it's, damn authentic <clears throat> wow okay yeah. so like other other uh war movies that so uh, before we get into more because i feel like m most of them don't really kind of deal with the boot camp side of it outside of stripes and full metal jacket well it's really, really tough to though because i mean it's not like it's a secret but like the marine corps is also <clears throat> not gonna like doesn't just let anyone come in and, and understand truly understand what happens sure, there sure right? there's so, so much confidentiality yeah, to that yeah. so then you get called what's your first assignment out of the School of Infantry? Yeah. we. So I graduated the School of Infantry and was an infantryman. Um, I think it was like April of 05. And in like the uh, Green Soldiers that we had as kids, the toy Green Soldiers, uh -huh. the infantrymen are the guys with the rifles. That's correct. Usually on a knee. That's, yep, <laughs> right? Yep, okay. In a nice firing position. Yeah. <laughs> I think I graduated in April of 05 with like to be like an actual young junior infantrymen 
And by that December, so like a seven month buildup, at that time we were doing like seven month transitions. Seven month buildup, seven month deployment. Seven month buildup, seven month deployment. Over and over again. Wow. So like my first one, like I said, April I got to the fleet. This December I was on the Mew. That was an eight month. I got home in July of 06. And then by the next year I was in Ramadi. And then you come home and then you train for seven months and you leave again. I mean, that's just like what the tempo is. Wow. And then after that, so after my first four years, you pretty much do duty stations for about three or four years at a time. And is that the same now? Yep. Yep. Okay. They don't like to keep you like, so like they don't want you to ever get complacent and too comfortable. So everyone's always moving around. Wow. That's designed. So then I became an instructor at the school of infantry. So I graduated the school of infantry, went and did it. And then I was blessed enough to be proficient enough at it to where I went back and then taught it. So I taught the school of infantry for, I think I did 22 cycles of a hundred Marines each cycle. So like, I think I did about, I was, I was able to lead and be a small part of their about 2,200 Marines. So you're just giving the sh- you're giving the business twenty two hundred so, Marines at the yeah, end of the day, right? Yeah, but so I wasn't in, I was not a drill instructor at boot camp. I was a combat instructor. So the difference is like so like boot camp breaks you down and teaches you to be a Marine, right? So like all the stuff that you you know Full Metal Jacket stuff. All sure, things, sure, right? yeah. And then at the School of Infantry, it's very professional, and not that boot camp isn't, but I mean it's just a different level of tact. So like it's professionally teaching tactics. So you're there to like help them grow we're growing them is to be again, war fighters. So like they're teaching they're we're learning, wow. we're teaching them the weapon systems. We're teaching them tactics. So all the, we're pumping out these Marines. Cause at that time the op tempo was very high. Mm. So we're pumping out Marines and we have them for a small period of time to get them the most proficient they can possibly be. And then boom, they're gone. Then they're, they're gone. Next you hundred next you hundred. Wow. So, and I'm sure you build relationships through those that are like, it's kind of fun and it kind of sucks that they're changing mm-hmm. all the time, you know. Yeah. Drew, um, any thoughts before we get into like his secondary second half of like combat? Because we're in boot camp at this point. No, I actually I had a great conversation with Brian earlier. Well, I guess last last week. Yeah, last week. Right. So no, I'm. It, it's intriguing. I, I think you ought to just keep going. Well, sorry, I'm dominating this conversation. No, 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 no. I, mean, I I was I was intended to be just a fly on the wall, really. Okay. <laughs> I, well, Drew, I was hoping that you would have some dynamite drop-ins sure. every once in a while. We'll see. So feel free. No, if Brian, you have a question to ask. No, no. At this moment, no. Okay, so infantry school's over. Now you're a drill instructor at infantry school. You're helping them around the combat side of it. Um, when does your first call to action to combat happen? So well, let me, let me back up. And so the, the first deployment is this Mew, this Marine Expeditionary Unit. I had a lot of growth there. So that was, we just happened to be on a deployment schedule where we were going to the Pacific. So like I said, we got to, so what we do is we get on these, like we have like a group of ships and we travel around and we train with other militaries and we're just out there. We're positioned out there just in case. And so I got to train with the Thai Marines, uh, Philippine Marines. Um, we got to go to Guam. We were stationed kind of out of Japan. Um, and then so we were, 
in the Pacific and there was a landslide in Leyte, Philippines in March of 05. So I was like 20 years old and we, we get the, we're on, we're on the ships and we get the call like, Hey, like there's this giant landslide. So like half this mountain came down over a village and so we get on our we get on helicopters and we're flying in. It's like, like real world shit at this time. So like we're we're flying into this this wash site of where this landslide came down over. A this mountain village. has collapsed onto a village. Literally half a mountainside in a they had mons crazy monsoons at that time and like literally it just came down and in a minute buried the entire village. <laughs> Done, dude. Crazy. It's just like crazy. And I'm only, I don't really like, we don't really, it's not like a big deal to like discuss all these things, but like, it's just to understand what like these young leaders go through at a young age. You know, I think it's kind of intriguing and important, you know? Damn right. Cause you're what? 20, 20 years old. Yeah. 20, 20 years point. old. I'm 20 years old. I've Jeez, got, I've got dude. a squad of 12 Marines that are in my charge. We, we fly in on helicopters, we land, we're there for a week, and at that time, we're just digging, 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 digging for like a week straight, you know? So there was a lot of just like crazy stuff that young, these young Marines are seeing and involved in. And here we are worried about cash, cash registers. Exactly. You know, so that's what I'm getting. That's what I mean. Old, that's yeah. what I'm getting at. Yeah. So like there are like. So it's doable is what we're saying. Damn it, true. It, it can Don't be Don't take this full circle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, so when I say like, just figure it out, bro. Yeah, you can handle it. It's okay. You know, so like there's some perspective there. And then so like that was my, there was a lot of training, a lot of real world humanitarian stuff on my first deployment. And then I come home, start having babies, um, and then I we go. And so the next one I think is, I don't know, like we got home in July, so seven months, probably like January, February, March of seven was a deployment to Ramadi. So that answers your your question, like first call to combat. So where is Ramadi? Ramadi? I never even heard the name before. Ramadi, Iraq. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Very, very, at that time, very kinetic environment. A lot you, of stuff going on. Can you put that in kind of like a timeline that maybe Alan and I would understand? Like what else was going on around that time that we can kind of relate like in, to? Uh, like societally or just like in, in the war? Yeah, just in general. Yeah. I mean. Um, that's, pre, that's pre-Abu Ghraib, right? So I, I would say at that time, the war has gone from... The initial invasion, quote, like quote unquote invasion of like the American troops, like we we push through like Fallujah, right, and we clear that city, and like we were operating all these these areas of Iraq, these strongholds. So like the the Iraq population is awesome, like just at at a base, like at a generally speaking, like the population is just amazing, great values, um, awesome personality. And then there's like a lot of extremism and people that think things should be done a certain way and then that they'll use brutal force to achieve that. I guess that's like the best way to say it. Ugh. Okay, so like they're, so then that, like that group of people, multiple groups are using any means possible to achieve that. And so like that's where, I, there's so many ways you can really like talk about this and 
not spin it, but like, however you want to think of that war, like either way we were there. Right. So like we're trying to, at our level, we're trying to rid the population of suppression, violent suppression. That's like how I thought of it. Yeah. 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 So, um, Ramadi was a very, um, of, I, I use the word kinetic, uh, very operational city at that time. Lots of stuff going on there, very populated. The Iraqis are trying to stand up a police force and an army, and they're trying, at the same time, we're trying to rid them. They're trying to stand up their own defenses to, for us to eventually be able to leave. You know, so that's at least the idea. So how, out of a percentage, yeah. what is the amount of people that are like positive? Yeah. It's amazing. We're doing a lot of progress to a oh, holy shit. This is completely going the opposite way. Percentage. Marines are the population of the city. Um, just as I guess in like lifeline, is it like 80% of the population and like the More. infrastructure? So 90%, 95%. Unfortunately, like- we'd already been there for a couple of years by then. Uh, so I would say as far as infrastructure, it was almost gone. But like the population really over thousands of years really never knew it doesn't know any much much different other than constant war and you know the battle for that area so i mean but like i would say if i had to put a number on it like 90 percent plus of the population was accepting of us Did they see it as liberation yeah something like that Cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, right. So then there's, and again, this is just my experience, me literally yeah, living yeah, it. Like, yeah. I, I don't speak on behalf of, like, you know. Well, whatever. I mean, it's not us, it's not uh, to us, too, to like yeah. depict our, like, throw our projections of what the war was. War dummies. Yeah, yeah. Saying. I mean, it is what it is, but it's like. Uh, but you were the helping the train them, too, right? Yep, yep. So yeah. we had groups. So, like, we're literally. So, so there was buy in. I mean, absolutely there was yeah, buy-in absolutely. yeah no i mean that was the main effort was to train their police and army structure to so they can uphold their values yep really. absolutely yeah. yep from wow. from just the same stuff i mean really it's like so you're finding out their values and then you're at the same time your, we're your, already your, experts so we're also at the same time of doing what i just said we're still just taking it to the enemy every day like wow. we're, 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 I'm literally, like literally a day would be, it, it would really be almost impossible to ex- describe all of the day to day. But like, generally speaking, we would be shaking hands, going house to house, offering X, Y, and Z, um, building a school here, doing this here. But then like the other side of the platoon is literally like fighting bad guys. Wow. Yeah. And then we wrote like split rotate so when you're saying fighting bad guys at that time are yeah. you fighting iraqi <laughs> army and military or are you Extremist. fighting extremists yeah so there's that, that are faceless is w- that what's going on yeah so i mean without getting too technical into sure. the terminology and all that there's like you have you have an insurgency you have al-qaeda you have all these there's different groups but like ge- generally speaking like an insurgency of, of people, I guess for lack of better terms, of extremists that are in that area that want us out would, yeah, faceless. So like, it's not like you're fighting a military. Right. Everyone's right? in the same costumes. Everyone's it's, hitting, shooting shots. It's yeah. like, no. I have literally gone, like, so like we'd be on a patrol and like we'd be going house to house like, hey, we're in the area. Let us know if you need anything. Here's some water or whatever. Go to the next house. Go to the next house. We've like done that. And then, like, been 
interrupted by gunfire and like a small firefight. And then like we'd go into a house where they're like, quote, nice to us. But then like we go and there's like warm rifles. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. It's very, it's really, it's, it's really hard to explain because like you don't see your enemy. I mean, and that's not even talking about like IEDs and bombs on the road and all that. But like, just like the physical person, the enemy blends right into the population. Damn. So that's what I would, I mean, like, I don't, and so like the, the World War II generation, the Korea generation, like you just absolute enemy. animals, war fighters, but like they at least saw who they were fighting. Right. So like there's an, uh, there's at least a mental, don't get me wrong, like I would never want to be, you know, be in their shoes, although I would. Um, <laughs> but, but like there's a, but there's a, there's like a, a you know, see, shoot. Whereas like when we were out there, we're patrolling daily. We're, it's just a mind. It's, it's like almost a mind like you're F. fighting an ideology instead of and you, yeah, physical. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And so those IEDs in the road, those are all pretty much like camouflaged and hidden to look completely normal from your everyday routine. That's, that's the idea. Um, they either, you know, they'll make it out of common track. So first of all, there's not like a waste management system out there. So like everything is just to the wind. So like there's a lot of trash and just munitions and just stuff. So like they would, their goal is to make it look just like anything else that's out there. So you would not notice it obviously, and then either walk by it and they can detonate with like a hand detonator or walk or, or a pressure plate, would, which would be something you would victim actuated. So like you would step on it or roll over it. But yeah, that's the idea. Put it in trash, put it in the ground. Wow. Yeah. Man. So, I mean, are there own civilians at risk as well then, or are they just like preemptively doing it because they know you're in the area? Yeah. So that's another thing. So ap- both. So there are like, it depends on the level of extremism in that area. So like we've been in, we, we would be in places where there would just be stuff stuff set up so much of it set up seemingly without inhibition mm. like didn't matter like collateral damage was not a problem mm. whereas maybe like the not so extreme side of that like they would try to just attack us specifically but absolutely yeah i mean there was plenty of times there was you know civilian human you know casualty just on accident, you know, we, and we, and that's a percentage of our job out there is to protect from that and seek all of this, you know, we would just go out on missions to clear roadways and have our EOD in there to just explode all of, I mean, we're literally, there'd been days where we'd find like two, three, four, five IEDs in the road a day. You go to bed, well, we own the night, but they, you know, Typically at night, they try to operate a little bit. You know, you'd, you would clear a roadway, and the next day there could be something in that roadway. Jeez. Yeah. One time, so one time, we had found an IED. It was kind of an obvious one, and that's actually a tactic too. So, like, we found, like, an obvious IED. It was nighttime. We were on, like, a six-hour patrol. And so we cordoned off this IED. So, like, we, we go high, we go low, we we call EOD to come in and basically like if they were available, they would come in and detonate it. Boom. Blows up, gone, move on. Next and thing. EOD means? Uh, explosive ordnance uh, detachment or something along those lines. Sure. So like, their job is bombs, right? So like um, that's, that's what they do. So we court, we have this, we find this big ID in the middle of this intersection. It's like one in the morning. We cordon it off. 
EOD comes. I'm the squad leader at the time. I go out there. I make contact with them. Like, hey, it's, you know, we've got this, this, and this up here. And, um, you know, I've got units here, here, and here. You know, what do you want to do? Do your thing. And I no sooner turn around to go back into a building for them to do their thing. And I tripped and fell on the ground. <laughs> fall on the ground. Like, fucking gear everywhere. And I look because it was dark. I, I white light what I had tripped over, and it was a secondary IED. Oh, it was a sandbag full of explosives with a pressure plate across the top of it. Like, that was my closest. I mean, other than, like, bullets, firefights, like, you know. But, like, as far as, like, no shit, I tripped over a secondary IED. Thank goodness. Wow. Yeah, for sure. That was God, crazy. I can't even imagine that. No. Yeah. And so you talked about firefights a little bit. Like, what? I mean, dude, we we were talking about motocross. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> before same we thing. got before we got on the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the we're talking about like the hardest thing about that 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 profession is that like your blood your blood pressure is pumping, you know, and you're going. I could only imagine what your blood pressure is doing. Like your sure. your heartbeat is doing on on a firefight, adrenaline, crazy, dude. You can only tr- so I will say I'll I'll preface it with you can only train so much. And the goal of training is muscle memory. So like that's literally what we do Monday through Friday prior to deployment for seven months. We go into the field. We go into these mount towns, military operation and urban terrain, these like combat towns. And we train over and over and over and over. Thousands of repetitions. This happens. This happens. This happens. This happens. So like not only just like situational awareness and like drills of executing onto the objective or, you know, in a firefight. But the point of that is so when it does happen and inevitably you experience the, the, the shit that goes along with combat, you can still operate just based off of muscle memory. I mean, I'm not trying to like dramatize it too much. No, but it's like, like thoughts you do, gone, Right. You do, just, you do it a in. thousand times. Yep. And then the first time it happens, absolutely you're scared. It's crazy. You're literally getting shot at by a fully automatic AK-47 or an RPG or whatever. And you're moving towards it. And you're executing onto an objective. Um, wow. But that's just because you had done it so many times before. And you're only doing that because the guy to your left and the right are also doing that. So, like, I'm not doing that to keep me safe. I'm doing that to keep him safe. And then he's doing it to keep me safe. So that's kind of how that works. What's so incredible to me is that it's, you know, Brian, what you're saying, it's intriguing to somebody like Alan and I that haven't experienced it. But what's, what's really fascinating to me is the fact that, like, the, the buddies that I have that also served in the Marines. And again, thank you. Like Alan said, but oh no, yeah. Um, and hopefully I'm doing them a good service. It's, it's, it's very reminiscent of everything that I've heard over the years from them as well. So that training has to be so instinctual because what you're saying is almost verbatim what I've heard from them too. Yeah. That's which is, which is pretty cool. Cause yeah. like it works obviously. Yeah. Good. I'm you glad. <laughs> good to yeah. hear that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, <clears throat> I don't even know where to start after that because it's just so intense, man. I mean, so the Marine Corps is what, 1775, 200 and almost 250 years old. It's not like we've been in combat forever, but... Yeah, but 250 years, so, okay. That's like nothing in this game. Well, think about what's happened in the last 75 years. Right. Yeah, well, I I just got done watching the... um, 
John Adams documentary on HBO. Yeah. And I love it, man. It has to do with the Revolutionary War and all that fun stuff. But it's like, yeah, that's part of the military history and George Washington leading him on the Delaware. But it's just a complete, it seems to be, as an outsider, a completely different war. Oh. What you're, what these guys, what you guys are doing nowadays <laughs> is, I mean, those guys are all just like, a lot of those, a lot of those like military people at that time. They're house owners that are just defending their land. Right. You so, know? Right. Yeah. There's no yeah. experience. Out of necessity. Dude. Out of yeah. necessity. Right. You guys are out there like really being offensive. It's just different. <laughs> like the level of bravery required at those times is just you can't I can't even understand it. Cause like So like there's fear and then, so there's, there's bravery, which is not just not being scared. Bravery is doing it despite being scared. So like there's a level, like, can you imagine, right? So I was blessed enough to be able to actually go to Iwo Jima. I was, I, I did this thing and I got selected and I was on that Mew and I got to go for a day to Iwo Jima. And I got to literally just walk those beaches. And like, can you imagine being on those those boats and coming in to the shore with just like just complete chaos? Knowing and that door drops, and you already know. I mean, just statistically, what 70, 80 percent of the people aren't gonna make it to the sand. And and then but it doesn't matter. Like you're getting off that 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 vehicle, and the end state is to take over that island so that we can have a landing strip to eventually strategically win the war on mainland. I mean, just like the level of bravery is insane. 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 Dude. I don't even. I can't even really comprehend it. Like I. I can't even believe it. So dealing. So like this is a. This is a really deep question, so I'll I'll give you the heads up on that right away. I'm not scared. Okay. Dealing with combat, dealing with your life and death situations daily, and we're talking about bravery with them in particular, too, because I think that's just equally important. What's your relationship with death at that point? Is it something that you're welcoming? Is it something that you're like, okay, this is... I, I know you mentioned the team atmosphere. Yeah. Of that side of it, that you're doing it for other people. But at the same time, how are you justifying it with yourself? Is that a relationship with God? Yeah. Is it a relationship with atheism? Yeah. How are you kind of compartmentalizing? So it? great question. Different for everyone. Sure. Uh, for me, I was a, um, I was a Christian. I am a Christian. At that time, I was a Christian prior to all of that happening. So um, we can like unpack that in itself. But to answer your question, um, I will be honest and say that at that time, I don't think that, there, well, there was an element of that I actually didn't probably fully appreciate and understand death at that time. Definitely not as much as I would now. So like if I was doing what I did 18 years ago right now, I would have a completely, <laughs> I think, different at least perspective. So I being mean, young helps. Being young helps. It does. I don't think yeah. that's a secret. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like you're plucked 
and you're stripped and you're built up and then you're sent and you're trained and then you go and then you're gone. And that, so like, I think there's an element of that, but I mean, I always used to say at least that like I had already accepted that the chance that I wouldn't like you, ha you have to, <laughs> you wouldn't, you would go insane if you didn't, you have to accept that you, so, and this is what I was talking about, the level of bravery with like World War II or whatever. Like you're, <laughs> there's an enemy in front of me, you're shooting this and that. But like for us, like it was just a mental mind game. Like you have to accept that every time you walk out, there can be a bomb under the road that you have no idea about. So like, like that literally happened to the second guy that's on, like on my, on my bracelet here. My, one of my other really good friends, Kenny May, fourth combat deployment in like six years. He was a stud, great at what he did, meritoriously promoted. On his fourth deployment, week one, steps on an IED that he, uh, that he did not know was underneath him, gone. Hmm. I mean, so like, it's not like a matter of what you did, like you did something wrong. So like, yeah. to, so to answer at, your at question. Point, it's like fate at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, if that's like the word you want, it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, I guess if that's what you want, you know, you have to accept that there's a percentage of a possibility that you cannot come home and it has nothing to do with like you being wrong or like the actions that you failed to take. So you, and if you don't reconcile, that's what I'm saying. And so if you don't reconcile with that or you're not able to, I think that's where there's a lot of like all the other stuff that comes afterwards, you know, or there, you know, I, I, it's, I don't mean to overly simplify it, Brian, but like, is there ever a point that in, in your career in the military where you're, you, you just accept that that's a possibility where we're like, you know, you get on I-65, right. you, you know, that there's, a, a, you know, deaths on there every, every day, every year, every, whatever. And you're just like, well, that, that's a chance you take because that's just what you're doing. I mean, or, or do you ever come to terms with that or is there, you know what? Yeah, no, you do. So like, it's just like, there's different levels of it. So like for me, I, when I, when I was deploying and in combat, I had a wife, right? Yeah, so man. like I understood and we talked about and made provisions for the possibility that I just didn't come home again, even based on things that were out of my control, but still fear is okay. Like fear is good. Cause like fear is what keeps you non-complacent. And so like, I was absolutely scared of things. It's not like I was like scared out of my mind, but like I was okay and embraced all of the emotions that I was feeling sure. because was there excitement in that too? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And there, there's excitement and, but there's also like competition. It's weird. Like I literally have never really even unpacked this with anyone else. This is really weird. <laughs> I swear. Like, cause like you do this thing, like when there's like a group of us Marines, like we just, do it like yeah that's yeah life. yeah but like anyways but like there's even a level of now that i think of it like competition like yeah this is like the shit you do in your backyard when you're like 12 <laughs> right but like yeah you know but we're now trained and actually doing it for the you know at least for our our right reasons you know at the time 
Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at <laughs> that it. That is. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it's like, it, it, I mean, at one point, I feel like when your back's against the wall, it's either me or you. Oh, well, at that level, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, well, that's so cut and dry. Well, at you know? that level, for sure. But to like go through those experiences and then have to communicate those experiences with your significant others... And then also have to go back into those experiences. Oh, yeah. That's even, yeah. That's impossible. Right. You know, because I'm sure you only have so many games in your belt, under your belt. Yeah. Before you're like, I got to hold, I got to, I got to, you know, put up the jersey, dude. I'm done. Well, my next, you know, that leads my next question, which would be like, was it, you know, being married or was it the kids or like, when did you come to that realization point where, I don't know, I might have to back off. I know you're still in the active reserves. Yeah. Hey, I'm not going to combat again. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, so like everyone's career is different. I've had Marines that have literally deployed friends that like deployed like five, six times. They stayed in the grind. No idea how that, how they did that. (laughs) I deployed a couple of times. I became an instructor and then I took a completely different path. Like actually what I, we've talked about was like the easiest part of my career. I had a ton of stuff after that. Like, um, I went to a commissioning program, became an officer, went to flight school, uh, and became a logistician and and then got like just a ton of stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I would say over time. Okay. So to answer your question for me personally, there was this secession of priority for a long time of my adult life and it went God, Marine Corps, family, hobby, whatever. And then like over time, long after my deployments and my instructor status and becoming and and doing all these awesome things, like just over time, those, once those priorities flipped and like I was a husband and father in my head first, it's over. It is. You got to get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not fair to the Marines that you're leading. Yep. Sure. And, and, and I'm still, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I've found a way to have a, um, a successful career that contributes to the Marine Corps, but by no means am I in the grind. And I have not been in the grind for a long time. And I mean, that's just fair to me and fair to the Marine Corps. I mean, there are, again, like I said, there I've had, I have, and have had friends that are like stayed in it for, for a long time. That's just not my path. So like I'm doing something completely different right now. Yeah. It's such a weird thing from like, just as like a, a study of humanity, right? Because I get a chance to, I get a chance to talk to so many people, dude. Um, which is a blessing, but at the same time, it's like, dude, everything affects people differently. For example, for example, my daughter, you know, she's four, and uh, she'll she'll come up to me and she'll be like, "Dude, Daddy, I had these nightmares of uh, I guess there's this Disney movie my wife let her watch was about zombies, and it's about if you're wearing a wristband, you're a good zombie, but if you're not wearing a good, I don't even know if you're not wearing a wristband, then you're eating brains of people, and she's going down these deep nightmares she's been having about it, and it's like with you in particular. Um, we're not talking about Disney movies, you know, we're talking about humanity and then seeing, seeing it at its most primitive level in a lot of ways. And so dealing with that weight, right. 
dealing with that weight of visuals and just consciousness yeah um it's just a really intense thing and so for that like man um I'll, I'll finish i'll finish the podcast off with this do you think that's a positive thing for people of the united states to experience because i i know that there's a lot of things um wartime wise where we feel like we're getting soft because we haven't experienced war that intimately. Do you think that having experienced that, do you think that's a better thing for the consciousness of the country to experience the intimacy of your life and death that quick? Or is it something that is like a, a benefit to uh, not, I guess? Everything is so unique to everyone else's, their own journey. But I will say that I know that everything that I did and experienced through my time um, doing everything that we just talked about most definitely shaped who I am as a man, as a human, uh, as a Christian as kind of like this lifelong learner of leadership and then has inevitably carried over into who I am as a husband and a, and a parent. So, I mean, at, at a basic level, I guess I'm saying that like my life experiences have shaped who I am, but yeah, absolutely. It's positive. Um, is it for everyone? Probably not. I think that for whatever reason, I think people may come out of some of these situations worse than what they started. But I think generally speaking, at least from what my experiences is, is and what I've witnessed, um, the military service, the, the Marine Corps in general, has most definitely positively impacted who I am today. And you know, like I just said, like even all the way down to how I lead S and T on a daily basis. So positively impacted. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Because we've we've we have not faced anything of that kind of level in a long time as citizens. So yeah, that's awesome to hear. Drew, do you have anything to add while we wrap up here? Because no. I, I can do I can do another I can do a full another part two sure. yeah. on the second half of his career. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we really, really yeah. Could. I mean, we yeah. just kind of touched on it, but it's really awesome. Yeah. No, it's been great. No, I I, I appreciate Brian. You guys let me sit in. Like I said at the beginning, I was just here to kind of be a, a fly on the yeah. wall, and uh, it's been a pleasure meeting Brian. And I'm glad that that you two connected. So no, through awesome. Jess, we we met through Jess. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Your Long, wife. Uh, Home sale. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brian, do you have anything you want to promote to people? Um, any kind of causes, whatever you want to kind of promote? Um, you know what? Let me say two things. One, as I was sitting here like chatting, like I was saying, like, I don't really, I've not that I haven't had the opportunity, but like, it just hasn't like presented itself to where I've like really started to unpack a lot of this stuff. So I will say that, I hope that whoever is listening to this or whatever, I, and if you have um, 
an affiliation with the the military or, or the Marine Corps or whatever that I'm doing you a good service by what I'm saying. I you know everything that I'm saying is my opinion based on my experience. I by no means speak on behalf of, you know, anyone other than myself solely. But, you know, these are these are just my my learning lessons and this is my story. So um, I hope that, you know, whoever's listening to this is you know, I'm doing you a good service. Um, but for, you know, S and T, you know, bringing it for sort full circle. <laughs> First we, half. We are really excited to to be in Crown Point. We're Crown Point residents. We um all we do is we we make a really good quality product and we we serve it at an affordable price. And we just want to be a good contributing member to the to the city. And we're really excited to be on the square. We love we love this place, and we we hope that we can you know be a contributing business you know to Crown Point. So, well, I, I really appreciate you doing what you do with S and T. I think that's really awesome. I think the square definitely needs it. On a personal humanitarian side, you know, with what we do, I get a chance to see a lot of different sides of life. Yeah, which is awesome. I wouldn't want it any other way. But one of the things that I got a chance to see is a, a, a friend of mine I met through random, randomness. His name's Jim Chancellor. He was a Vietnam vet, um, flew around in helicopters, and he does a lot of PTSD um, lectures across the region. And, and he's invited me to a few. And uh, they're mainly at Legion Halls, which is sad because it's an awesome venue. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, right. But it's, but it's not, a limited audience. Right. Exact. Good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and to see the struggle that families are dealing with when it comes to veterans coming home and the suicide rate in particular yeah. is really something personal to me. And I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. Um, so I'm so appreciative of you coming on here and sharing your story. And I hope this really injects some form of community with the veteran community of, of Northwest Indiana that maybe people can come together and talk, uh, about their situations. Like you're talking about unpacking. Um, that's, I think a really important component of health, you know, being able to discuss it. And I, and, and I can get a lot of that too, because, you know, um, I've experienced stuff that's exactly specific to me yeah. that I don't think anybody else feels or understands. And so um, to be able to build a community of people in this area that can understand and have experienced it is something I'm passionate about. So I, I love that. Thank you so yeah. much yeah. for sharing that My stuff. My pleasure. Because, like, dude, it's scary stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I've, I sat there. I went to East Chicago once to an American Legion and heard – families just discussing how suicidal their vet, like their sons are and how lonely they feel and how it's just like such a specific experience for them and they can't understand, you know? So it's just, um, yeah. I mean, if, if, if that's, if anyone out there is listening to this and that's you, you just call any S and T you Google S and T and you, you call any location and you ask to talk to Brian and, and we'll we'll figure something out together for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. I, I really it's a passion for me. Yeah. So I hope that really does kind of go through. I mean, I'm I try to listen to a lot of history and, and watch a lot of it, and I know it's not easy, man. Yeah, everyone's it's got not their own easy, man. everyone's got their own story. So I appreciate the platform. 
Awesome. Awesome. So definitely do that yeah. if, if you're a veteran yeah. listening. Drew, do you have anything else to add at the end here? No. Thank you for having me on, Alan. Uh, Brian, yeah. it's, again, been a pleasure hearing your story again, which I was fortunate enough to hear, yeah. uh, you know, over over time, but um, all beneficial for sure. So, awesome. And to circle back, S&T, uh, going all the way back to the family perspective, what I noticed about doing this for our family a couple of times is picking up your products and doing that whole thing is it really does create an excellent family dynamic. You're so I mean, right. I mean, you're so right. Each dude. one of the kids have their own perspective on what they want to do with, with, with the yeah. pizzas. And yeah, for sure. It brings everyone together, even if it's for a half hour or whatever, an hour to, yeah. to take the time to do that. Um, quick and easy way. I mean, yeah. really. you're so right. I took, I took a, a three pack yeah. to the house and my, then like my daughter and son all had opinions about what was going to go on right. each pizza. It Give was everyone awesome. their own and make it however you want it. To this right. day, they're like, oh, Dad, are we going to make a pizza? It's yeah. like, no, I can't afford that. <laughs> s is way too expensive yeah, and right. I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, Brian, thank you thank so you much. All. Drew, thank you so much. You and uh, if you like this episode, go check out our other ones. We talked to psychics. We talked to um, therapists. We go all across the board. Um, feel free to hit us up. If you do have any questions, uh, hit me up at alan at local219.tv. That's A-L-A-N, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Peace.